Hmm. Uh, why, yes, that is a badly timed Elizabeth Shaw crunchy bitter mint type thing. They're very nice, though. I highly recommend. Um, very nice after some of the Sainsbury's fancy slow-cooked gammon, which is what I just had for dinner with my my darling wife and father-in-law. Very nice. Anyway, um, good evening, everyone. <laughs> um, uh, it's real natter. It's episode 196. It's... <clears throat> While well, I'm crunching through this very pleasant mint. Um, it's uh, it's a, a rage turn, or is that a page turn, of the UK's plan for drivers. That's the plan tonight. We're going to look through the document. Uh, hi, everyone. It's 8pm. Yeah, look, we're, we're, we're on time. And I'm providing people with a, the audio soundtrack they knew they didn't want. Uh, sorry, everyone. I, I, I promised to do better. I realised all too late that I hadn't eaten it, and I just wanted that nice, minty, chocolatey flavour to be just sat on my tongue while I did this rail natter. Um, because it's, yes, it's, it's plenty to do. So anyway, right, I'm waffling because there are other things we need to talk about. Firstly, the last episode was episode 195, um, and I missed the chance to name-check a train because there is a class 195. Here it is. Um, Northern procured a whole bunch of calf civities, and uh, as you can see by the... Um, by the uh, the cleaned up areas next to the yaw dampers, uh, these were procured um, and are very high quality trains, um, not carrying forwards as you can see from also these patches here and here, uh, not carrying forwards similar problems that CAF have had on rolling stock they've created for a really long time. Anyway, it's nothing to do with the fact that they are fairly major conservative donors. I mean, it probably isn't to be fair, but. But it's worth noting that CAF are fairly major Conservative Party donors, just for the sake of, of uh, you know, uh, openness and transparency. Anyway, here's a three-car vehicle. The main thing I, I want to talk about the 195s uh, very briefly is that they are all too short. As lots of people pointed out when I said this grumpily, they were all like, well, you know, there are certain physical limitations here and physical limitations there. It's like, well, yeah, I we should fix those. And when, while we can't fix them, fine, you have short sets, or you have SDO, or you have compromised working, but ultimately, like, running a two-car set on, in many cases, quite high-density suburban routes is clearly baffling. Um, uh, Gareth, you're, you're, you're relieved to uh, finish class early. Uh, not me, Gareth. It's other Gareth. I know I say this a lot. I, I, I'm at the point now where I should probably not, I don't necessarily need to clarify. We're talking about currency, Gareth, uh, not not trains, Gareth, although Gareth is also trains, Gareth. But anyway, that's, I've, how many times can I name check you, Gareth? Anyway, right, okay, fine. So that was that was last week's episode that I didn't name check. Um, but that's not the end of our CAF uh, fun um, because the uh, very similar uh, platform. Uh, look at the undercarriage, uh, the underfloor equipment, by the way. Particularly look at the these boxes here, which are full of gubbins. So there's like, um, if I just press E, there's a, so you see there's this, uh, there's a sort of a square shape there and a square shape there. And then there's another box here with a kind of a big dingle dongle hanger. And then another here with two handles. So there's three boxes of equipment, all increasingly small. Let's pay attention to that as we jump to this week's episode's train. Class 196, uh, where you can see uh, slightly differently positioned, but the similar box there with the, the two handles. So there we go. You can see that actually, oh, you were like, oh, that, this is more familiar. Interestingly, though, the other boxes aren't, the, the, the other boxes we talked about are located in different 
places on different vehicles. Key thing, uh, here is a four-car Civity. There are four-car uh, so, uh, trains operated by uh, by Northern, um, but uh, the major- a good chunk of them are three-car. Uh, here you can see a nice four-car uh, Westminster's Railway with a really nice integrated branding, which ties in with the buses and the trams on the Westminster system, as it should remain. Hands off, GBR. Hands off. Uh, in any case, uh, you know, fine, good. They're, they're smart enough trains. You know what? I don't even mind the 195s, the 196s. Like, they feel tacky and cheap inside, but, you know, they're new and they're worse trade they've replaced pacers worse trains exist i i'm not hugely offended by them it's fine anyway this is episode 196 and here is a 196 how many of these are actually in service yet i'm not sure um yeah well well anyway uh, people in the chat can let us know but uh yeah look at the front of the these trains obviously it's very different this one's gangwayed I'm always in two minds about gangway trains. I prefer them from an operational perspective, but they're also horrible for drivers. Like drivers much prefer a nice, open, airy cab like this. So um, yeah, I'm always in two minds. I I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the right answer is. Um, uh, but you in the chat might, and so I'm going to start a poll because every now and then I forget that these exist. Um, uh, uh, let's see. Um, uh, gangways question mark um train ends there we go. gangways at train ends let's let's do this uh, let's go with gangways at train ends start poll i should have gone gangways yes gangways uh, gangways or no gangways but anyway there we are there's a poll running you can all decide whether you prefer the other because i have no idea anyway right we're today talking about the UK government, by which I mean the Conservative Party, because this was this is this is the continuing trend of there being a deliberate grey area between party policies, you know, party sort of pitching, and government making a statement about what it's doing and getting up to. Um, so, I uh, yes, anyway, the plan for drivers, which was you know a announced at the Conservative Party conference which is a strange time to announce national strategic policy, but there we go. Um, uh, you know, and it had these kind of five headlines and a whole bunch of other stuff that was that was in there, this plan for drivers, and we're going to work through it, and we're going to try and understand. Um, we are going to try and understand if there's anything good in this document. Is there? Is there anything we can scrape out of this? As bearing in mind this document's basically meaningless. It's going to get ignored by this government or another government. No one's pay- going to pay attention to it. But let's have a look anyway, because it's the run-up to Christmas, and we... Oh, yeah. Talking of which, where's my Christmas hat gone? I was trying to remember where I put the Christmas hat. Oh, I've gone and hidden it, haven't I? Well, okay, a Christmas hat next time. This is going to be a festive episode, um, but I've not got a mince pie, and I have not sourced my Christmas hat. I wonder if it's, wonder if it's under this pile. No, no, no idea. Uh, that's, that's one for the future. Anyway, let us uh, get on with it, shall we? Because <laughs> we're already seven minutes in, and we've got a bit of news to get through. Everyone, welcome to tonight's Rail Natter. City 225 fades away. We are starting with some news. It's some interesting news here. Joe Maugham, everyone's favourite um, uh, urban mammal walloper, um, is, uh, is uh, through Good Law Project, is um, threatening to challenge Rishi Sunak's unilateral decision to ignore what Parliament has enacted about HS2. Um, so it, basically, to read uh, Joe's tweet, 
So we've sent a formal letter before action to Rishi Sunak threatening to challenge his unilateral decision to ignore what Parliament has enacted about HS2, cancel the project and salt the earth by selling all the land. As I always like to point out, the person who first... I didn't invent the phrase salting the earth, obviously, but that was the first person to use it in this context and people have been saying it since. So it's nice to see my language continuing to, to go around. So um, there's there's a thread under this, which is quite interesting, particularly as government's ha- government has responded to the letter saying, please don't send this to Rishi Sunak. It wasn't his idea. It was Mark Harper's idea. Which is interesting because it's like, are they really going to do this? Are they going to dance? Fun. Great. Let's do this. I'm excited about that. So um, so good stuff. Let's see where Good Law Project get to. Um, keep If I do miss anything, keep me in the loop. Someone added me into this to, so I could spot it. I had missed it. So uh, thanks for that. That's live today. That's, that's fresh news. What else? Oh, yeah, some, some other good news. We're going to stick with some good news at the moment. Um, Transparent route upgrade progress. Firstly, uh, Castleford's other platform has uh, has opened. Now, this is, you know, I mean, certainly the last time I was looking at the operational plan, this was a, much as they've opened this, Castleford stations had a, had a fair amount of work recently, even before TRU came along, you know, new station building and stuff. They've um, opened this new platform. It's got lift access. You know, it's all all very nice entirely to serve the diversion route while they do work on east of leeds uh, <laughs> which um so and the plan is not necessarily to continue using both platforms afterwards or it was i hope and suspect that this is an example of some clever engineers doing some clever things uh, in the in the vein of like selby diversion future proofing of going yes temporary and actually it's cheaper to do this temporary than you know it's cheaper to do this kind of built permanently than than it would be to march spend marginally less money and, and make it a proper temporary platform and this way potentially you could run some new services and i hope that politically it will become untenable to not have these services running in the future i'm i'm, I'm so anyway so that that's i'm, I'm pleased to say i had a hand in some of the track work uh, through through here it's funny because i actually my new employer did the track proving through the actual station but i've done all that i was the cre the, the the lead designer responsible for all the track work outside of the platform area so all the stuff along with as you see behind this train disappearing off into the distance um back here uh there's actually quite this project this diversion route project involves a lot of mostly signaling so they've they've half block lengths and done a load of associated s t work new signals new irjs uh, all sorts of bits and pieces of little track work and then this direction so this way <clears throat> and, and actually uh, around the corner <clears throat> is a funny little new crossover that uh, that i was leading the design of a huge amount of fuss made over a tiny little crossover that in, in if, if this was a normal if we ran the railways normally you'd have just asked the local delivery unit to put to slap one in over a weekend but anyway um, that's fine that's got in um, and it's allowing new services to run at the moment. In the future, this this capability, particularly this this additional capacity from the re- reduction in block lengths, will enable more trains to run during the diversion route period when we've closed off the railway line into Leeds, the usual route into Leeds. So it's 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 all about allowing some form of railway service to run when they've got these big blockades uh, planned in. So so that's good news. Uh, happy days, and it's quite nice seeing this. And it's nice pictures of, of lots of people I, I recognize you know the uh, the 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 network rail p uh, pm sorry and a bunch of other people who i recognize in in, in and around here um as, as well as some you know, local politicians and such uh, happy days lovely um everyone can be happy about that it's nice to nice to nice to see some people get involved in the, and, and getting their getting patted on the back for doing some good work um happy days this is the first major bit of kind of stuff that was delivered as part of transpen and route upgrade so obviously everyone's very excited about it um including uh, Gus and others who are <laughs> in the shot. Anyway, um, other good 
transparent route upgrade news is um, that uh, government has finally decided that it was going to do a press release about releasing about four billion quid to deliver a and this is a classic example of how expensive it is to do stuff on the existing railway network four billion quid for like two or three miles of or is it four miles maybe four miles of uh, railway upgrade between um, Huddersfield and Thornhill Junction, Ravensthorpe, where there's basically some some great separation going on. It's kind of down here, some fun stuff, some fun stuff going on at Heaton Lodge Junction uh, with great separation, um, and quite a lot of extra track work going on, particularly on the um, on the Dewsbury end of uh, of Huddersfield uh, Station. Uh, the station throughout that is so lots of fun work going on um that's taken them ages to announce goodness knows why um but yeah uh and if we zoom in on uh, thanks phil by the way for pointing that out if we zoom in on the map we can sort of see well it's it's, a, it's not hugely inspirational is it but you can sort of see what's going on there's there's quite a bit of great separation going on down at thornhill um and 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 uh, heat and lodge it'd be nice to get some proper track layouts actually that's exactly what's proposed but but yeah this is this is uh four billion quid uh, for about i think around four miles so this is what is this uh a billion quid a mile uh someone can correct me on this in fact D david were you uh David Frankel can correct me on my numbers whether this is correct or not because you're paying probably paying closer to, closer to exact attention to what the what the distance from ear to ear is and and such. But yeah, that's that's um that's a lot more expensive than HS2, folks. Anyway, <laughs> it's, it's a very very expensive bit of rail infrastructure upgrade. Anyway, more good news. Uh, better late than never. Yeah, it's the um, the Stadler Glasgow subway. New trains have started running. This is long overdue. Goodness knows how long these have been floating around. Um, I don't know. I don't know the story behind why this has taken so long. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, having it explained to me by why it's taken so many years to get these into service when when they were manufactured while I was possibly while I was still at university, but certainly in the in the in the, the early part of my career, almost a decade ago, it feels like. Anyway, so um, uh, any information on this welcome. Perhaps there'll be a rail natter in it if we can get someone involved in the project to tell us what the, what happened. Um, some more excellent news, and this is the second best thing to happen uh, in relation to transport in the UK after Wales's 20 miles an hour um, uh, speed limit introduction, which is that pavement parking is now a finable offence. New powers approved by the Scottish Parliament mean local authorities can fine drivers up to £100 for pavement parking. Just a, a, what seems like a very small, um, a very small change essentially enforcing an existing law or allowing local authorities to do that is going to be transformative. It's going to be transformative. People are not going to pavement park. This is really good. This should be happening in the rest of the UK as well. Why isn't it? Anyway, this is this is some good stuff. Uh, it gets the big rail letter tick of approval. Very pleased about that. Okay, stuff's going to get a bit less good newsy now from this point in. Uh, we're going to go for a strange chaotic neutral uh, bit of news uh, because genocide joe here has um uh, has given a slightly bizarre series of remarks at a campaign reception which you can find in the uh, on the white house website the, 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 a lot of it's talking about his relationship with netanyahu and um how much he's uh, i don't know there's a lot of stuff said in there that, that you need to just pick through and understand but the the thing that's interesting is um is, is this kind of this paragraph here or this sort of section here uh which is um where where he seems to 
go substantially off-piste and and uh, punts high here. Uh, 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 the uh, G20 meeting with all the 20 major nations in the world. Uh, this my my Biden. Uh, I got a resolution passed that no one thought could happen, saying we're going to build a railroad from the middle of India all the way up to England, add a pipeline across the Mediterranean to unite the country. That's my Biden. Um, so I'll just say that again for clarity, uh, saying we're going to build a railroad from the middle of India all the way up to England, uh, question mark, okay, whatever, England, um, uh, and a pipeline across the Mediterranean to unite the countries, right, and the train is going to go, literally not figuratively, I'm fascinated to know how you'd figuratively go from India into Saudi Arabia, but anyway, literally not figuratively, from India into Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia into Jordan, Jordan to Israel, Israel, etc. Because there we have an opportunity to unite the region, unite the region, um, anyway, so, yeah, quite what, um, uh, quite what Joe Biden means by this, whether he was just, you know, doing what I, I would expect any reasonable 90-year-old to be doing, which is, uh, how old is he, 80-something, doing what any reasonable octogenarian is, ought to do, and, and, and that is um, get dementia and have no idea what they're talking about, Um uh, yeah, baffling, very strange. I, I, I just, yeah, or I, 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 a puzzling, puzzling bit of tidbit. Anyway, spotted. Uh, other bad news. Uh, this is the classic. Um, all Sunday bridge failures are uh, permanent way team's fault. Some this, this picture, by the way, is not someone. Someone's not leaked this to me. Paul Clifton tweeted this out. So uh, someone's uh, thing. So I don't think this says anything about apart from. You could potentially trace when someone's emails uh, have been getting collected. I oh, use the Compact View. Whoever sent this picture out, Compact View is so much nicer in Outlook. Come on now. Anyway, what happened here? I think the investigation is ongoing, but I think there's been an acknowledgement by a team with some on-track machinery that they, that it was them what done it. Sorry, Governor. Um, yes, a bridge was lifted up by a, a, a an arm of a, an on-track machine. I believe is what happened here. Uh, I think there's. I think that's basically circulating in the public domain at this point. Um, a, a bit of a mess. The bridge is now gone. I think the problem with what is is that this is right next to a, an enormous uh, landslide that's that's happened recently. That's that's actually not fully failed yet, but it's ongoing and causing lots of problems and and and, and service impacts on a very very busy busy bit of railway line. Um, so yeah, headaches galore uh, for the railway here. Um, this is uh, an interesting bit of news that you just know is going to get picked up by all the wrong people. Including a load of people who said we want, uh, we don't want HS2, we want uh, reopened railway lines. Well, folks, that's what East West Rail is. East West Rail is an, a reopening project by any definition that um, you know annoying people might follow. Um, and uh, the National Audit Office, as they do with HS2, as they do with any project, are uh, opening an investigation into that project. Now, there's all sorts of reasons for that. Um, uh, many of them stupid, but I want to. It's, it's worth reading this. Um, it's worth reading this page and. Uh, possibly, yeah, it's worth reading this in detail, particularly for this paragraph here. This is, I'm just going to read this out because I think it's, um, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's just have a little think of this. DFT's cost benefit analysis suggests that the costs of the project may outweigh the benefits. This is basically why the NEO are opening the investigation. In 2021, DFT assessed that every pound spent on the project would result in between 50p and £1.10 in benefits. The calculated benefits have reduced further since then. DFT estimates that there would be between 30p and 60p of benefits for every £1 spent on connection stages 2 and 3. 
This line I'm about to read is the key one, and this should sound familiar to everyone who's been following um, anything I say ever. However, these assessments do not quantify the benefit from the wider aims of the project to transform the economy of the region. So I'll just reiterate what that means. The actual material benefits the, uh, have not actually been calculated. All they've done is look at the very narrow journey time improvement benefits. As we have said, as I've said so many times, does not even begin to evaluate to any meaningful level the benefits of a railway project. Um, the DFT has concluded most recently in May 2023 that there is a strong strategic case for the project. Yes, that's that's fine. That's reasonable. Ideally, we would have actually bothered to commission research to actually define that and, and put some numbers against it. I continue to say that the, the institutional inertia against doing that is because if you do that and actually th look at externalities, it screws up and puts and shines a very uncomfortable torch on bad transport policy for multiple decades. Because if you actually look at the externalities, all of these road projects that get money thrown at them will start looking very stupid, and the lack of rail investment would also start looking very stupid. So there's a, there is an institutional inertia against actually burning WebTag or or at least expanding WebTag to look at these other other benefits. This is a fundamental green book issue for Treasury. Um, the the green book being the guide to justifying public investment, um, and the green book is hopelessly unfit for purpose. And Treasury have said that they're updating it, and that's all they've said. I see no evidence that they are bothering to do that. Anyway, right. What other bad news? Ah, yes, we've hit the bust bit of the boom and bust cycle, and two uh, of the UK's well, basically the two main manufacturers of rolling of railway rolling stock trains in the UK. Um, one is Hitachi and Newton Aycliffe, and Hitachi have um. Their plant has suffered a multi-million pound write-down, which is essentially weird corporate financial gobbledygook speak for we don't expect, you know, we expect the, the money that we spent on this and intended to pay back on buying train, on selling trains. Uh, we don't expect to sell enough trains to write off this certain value of the, this re remaining value of this site. So we're just assuming that as a loss. Uh, someone can correct me if I've got that wrong, but I, I think essentially, so if you spend, say, a hundred million quid on a train factory and you make in profit um 50 million of, uh, or, or you plan basically to make that hundred million back within a certain number of years and then after that you you start earning you know, to, you know total profit overall from that investment um bearing in mind all the problems with the the cracks in the fleet but also the lack of sale of of, of a long-term pipeline what i reckon that is basically happening is um that they, basically what's happening is um, they are not expecting to sell enough trains to actually pay back the total value of their investment. Hence, they have this as a write down. Uh, people can correct me on that one, but I believe that's the, the situation. Um, a lot of this is uh, these companies threatening the UK government because of the HS2 contract, essentially termination. Um, and rightly so. They should bloody threaten the government over this because it's a lot of people's livelihoods at stake. Um, if nothing else. So that's Hitachi, um, multi-million pound write-down. Alstom, that much more stark. I was in Derby today. Um, at Alstom are, so there are 2,000 people roughly employed at uh, Litchurch Lane, and uh, Alstom are looking to get rid of 1,300 of those people. So that's, uh, what is that, about a 60% reduction in headcount. That's basically closing the site. That's turning it into just a train refurbishment kind of vassal. 
that's incredibly bad news. Just as a Hitachi uh, news is bad news, Derby getting obliterated is very bad news. And, and Derby has lots of problems with with their manufacturing of, of trains, or rather their software side stuff to do with trains. But this is this is a major hit, a major hit. And again, it's because there is no strategic plan for 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 what we need to build in terms of trains in this country. No long term pipeline. No rolling program of rolling stock renewals uh, and and uh, refurbishments it's all just panic last minute because we have uh, a headless chicken for a government and we have zero industry leadership uh, just just seriously that's that's a that's a huge number of very skilled jobs and that's not including the supply the impact on the supply chain which would be you know further hundreds of jobs lost um just yeah really really bad news um, slightly step outside of the rail industry for a moment, because uh, here's here's some news from the uh, from the firefighters, uh, sorry, the fire brigades union, um, slamming a. So this is this is about the health and safety executive. Uh, once again, the health and safety executive showing themselves to be completely unfit for purpose. Health and safety executive basically um, ignoring um, the uh, advice and long fought for experience of firefighters, and suggesting that it is safe. Um, for uh, firefighters to enter and go beyond um, the bridgehead, as it were, uh, which is a term used to represent the, the highest safe point in, a, in a, a building that's currently on fire, to go beyond that bridgehead without breathing apparatus. Um, this is, you know, it, it, <laughs> yeah, it, it, basically it's a cost-cutting exercise to allow less equipment, to allow the deployment of firefighters without with, with, with less equipment, therefore less cost involved. Um an obvious transparently this is a, a step backwards in safety there is no two ways about it this is a step back in safety and we've seen this in the railway we've seen the rr do this so ian ian hello ian um we've, we've kind of seen this happen where a, a, an independent regulator ostensibly states that it's you know you know that it, that, it, that, it, that safety is being maintained but it's just being managed differently but actually we see the fact that um safety is be that, that we're actually withdrawing from uh progress that has been made in the case of the railways it's progress with renewal track renewals for example or um upgrading the asset uh, you know we're going to lose that massively lose that um in, in the next control period or two you know we're gonna have 10 years of, of industry decline if it's not rapidly reversed um which makes safety worse there's no two ways about it it makes safety worse and this is a good example of the health and safety executive again another independent regulator ostensibly making transparently making safety worse to essentially facilitate government austerity this is not independence this is that this is shows that that the that these regulators are this taps into a thing that trash future talks about and i don't want to make this trash future review but it, it's a really valid point that i think that, that, that really hits home with me a lot and, make, and i think a lot about it and it's the fact that a lot of these institutions okay the hse dates back to 1974 1975 uh, after the health and safety work act but these institutions kind of fall into a kind of a, a liberal kind of institutional framework that's supposed to be all good and, and, and happy and positive. And it doesn't take, it doesn't even take a, a vampiric maniac government to come in and, and rapidly erode those institutions. The, the, um, uh, the Equalities and Human Rights Commission in the UK is a very good example of this. An organisation set up ostensibly to be the good guys and to enforce those things, equality and human rights. And as we've seen, has become captured by uh, nasties facilitating this government's uh, unpleasant agenda, both in terms of racism and transphobia. 
you know, ostensibly and to the point where that body has lost its uh, you know its designation as the arbiter of of, of equalities and human rights uh, in the UK. Um, you know these these liberal institutions are primed to be captured by the government of the day and and its potential foibles, whether that's kind of fairly broad sweep austerity measures like we're seeing here or for the railways, or whether it's insipid, unpleasant culture war um, violence, as we're seeing with particularly with transphobia, but but also with um, uh, with with kind of you know. T- 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 Doing de- or, or state understating the level of uh, institutional racism across the UK, so you know th- this is it's just something we have to keep an eye on. Particularly in the railways, we've seen problems with with the way the regulators are. You know where, uh, for example, with with you know when the HSE it comes back to Gerard's Cross, right? We saw how bad the HSE was at actually solving the problem and how much it had been captured by the politics of well, we can't say bad things about this organisation because um, it would it would. Uh, undermine PFI as a as a concept. Uh, you know, it undermine a lot of the things that we that the government of the day actually wanted to do. So we're not going to publish this report because it's uncomfortable. Uh, regulatory capture very dangerous. Um, moving on to um to our likely next prime minister, uh, it's always good news when a leading economist uh, says something like Keir Starmer's economically Ill- illiterate, or perhaps. Uh, a leading economist specifically says that. So this is where um, Labour, uh, obviously the Labour leader, let's uh, just quote the newspaper clip, which uh, looks to me like probably The Guardian. Oh, in fact, yeah, there's the link. It's a, it's a Guardian link. So I read The Guardian. Uh, the Labour leader touted the party's uh, rabbit ears uh, ironclad fiscal rules uh, in an effort to portray Labour as trustworthy on the economy. Um, oh, wait, God, there's, there's more Starmer. There will be many uh, on my own side who, who will feel frustrated by the difficult choices we will have to make, he added. This is non-negotiable. Every penny must be accounted for. The public finances must be fixed so we can get Britain growing and make people feel better off. Um, to which the response from Stephanie Kelton here, who is a... a you know, a world-renowned economist uh, and and one who isn't kind of captured by weird neoliberal groupthink um, is, and I have to agree with her, Keir Starmer is economically illiterate. Why? Because he's talking about every penny must be accounted for, the public finances must be fixed, which, as we know, is backwards. That's not how that works. Anyway, let's not dwell on that because it's depressing. And the last thing is, it's a, a slightly interesting thing. If if people want this to be a future episode, I'd be keen. Potentially, we could get the uh, the researchers in to talk about it. Um, Cambridge has published, uh, University of Cambridge has published an interesting um, paper looking at um, the need for universal basic infrastructure. It's a bit of a a, a, a bit of a, uh, a sort of a head kind of an eye catching headline type thing. But but they've kind of used this phrase universal basic infrastructure to talk about how far services uh, and infrastructure lag behind. And they're they're saying East Germany as an example of um, of uh, of uh, uh, of a part of a country that's had you know historically low investment in its infrastructure. So um, that could be a quite interesting paper to do a page turn on. Maybe we'll maybe we'll have a look at that. Could be quite interesting. Anyway, right. Let's let's dive out of the news. Um, and oh golly, look how bleached out I am. So sorry. Uh, why am I so bleached out? Uh, weird. Um. Anyway, he- hello everyone in the chat. It, it seems that the that, that a third of you are in favour of gangways at train ends. There we are. Very interesting. Let's end that poll. Very interesting. Uh, thanks everyone. So uh, while we think about Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak both hovering over a puddle with a with a, a silly straw, 
in hand, we're going to um, look at the Plan for Drivers, this wonderful document that I'm sure is going to be very insightful and we're going to learn a lot about it. It's not a big document, which is why I've done a bit of news um, uh, there. Uh, let's let's have a look, shall we? I'm going to wibble my mouse around as best I can. Um, uh, hello to everyone who's in the chat, by the way. Uh, it's lovely to see you. Oh, Tim Ballam saying it's, reduced, it's to reduce the requirement for training, particularly in relation to the, the restrictions on firefighter um, equipment. Yeah, very good point. Of course it is. Uh, reduction in uh, requirement for training, uh, savings, etc, etc. Anyway, right, the plan for drivers, published in October 2023. Um, let's have a look. Uh, here we are, Great Minster House. There, Let's just dox the DFT there. Uh, you can find out where they are by Googling it. It's not, it's fine. Um, right, content. So we've got forward by um, the, the awful Mark Harper. Uh, and then we've got this responding to driver's priorities, the plan for driver's actions, smoother journeys, stopping unfair enforcement, easier parking, inconsiderate driving, and transition to zero emission driving. These are the one, two, three, four, five big actions. Underneath, I think there are a total of like 30 sub-actions. We'll, we'll get there. This is it's like 23 pages. This was tossed together pretty rapidly. Also, let's just talk about the graphic design, which is awful. Uh, this is just an, an awful old picture with weird image, it's just bizarre. They've changed the DFT have changed their, you know, they've they've changed up from this this blue style that they were using for things like the the bus back better reports and stuff. They've they've got someone else in the team who, let's just say, they don't appear to be interested in graphic design. It's just boring. It's just ugh. anyway. Right, here's the forward. We often skip the forward. And you know what? We're going to skip the forward this time too because I don't care what Mark Harper has to say. He's a twerp. So let's um, let's move on from that and uh, and then discuss the actual document. Here's a happy chappy driving the car. Hello, hello, happy person. Um, let's let's see. Okay, so most adults in the UK drive. Uh, yes, ish. That's a little dishonest when you start breaking down into age groups, though. Um, Hmm. Uh, yes, uh, Martha. Hello, Martha, by the way. Lovely to see you. Uh, Martha, a friend of the show, pointing out that um, uh, you can literally tell uh, how uh, a document was written in a hurry from the graphic design. Yes, I'd agree with that uh, very much. Um, so uh, there are 50 million people with a driving license in Great Britain and around 40 million licensed vehicles across Great Britain. OK, that doesn't necessarily address the data and the point the, the reference point before people drive for longer. The proportion of people aged 70 or older holding a full driving license has increased from 45% in 2002 to 73% in 2022. Boomers. Uh, even among younger people aged 17 to 24, this is the, so Philip Haig pointed out, this is this is actually quite an interesting fact that they've accidentally slipped in. So will it, look at the weird phrasing, even among younger people, ooh, younger people, the young people aged 17 to 24, 85% expect to be driving regularly in the future, despite only 56% doing so now. Now, I wonder what, let's just think about, you've included this in a paragraph that's pro-driving, but actually that's a really damning indictment of transport policy that, that that many people, firstly, only a certain percentage of young people actually drive now, which is massive evidence of the opportunity to embed behavioral change from young people onwards. So, okay, there's an interesting thing for us to pull out. But the fact that they're saying 85% expect to be driving regularly in the future, that's, that, that's not a good thing thing. That's a damning indictment on the UK's transport policy. People are being forced into a decision about how they move around. This is all being talked, this is being framed, Harper's horrible spiel at the start. It's about framed about choice and we're, we shouldn't be denying people choice in a load of paranoid uh, anti-Semitic tropes about 50-minute cities um, and, and the conspiracy theories associated with that. When actually what 
what this damning indictment of 85% expect to be driving rate in the future is pointing out how much we are trapping people into depending on the car. Um, and there are good reasons for this. Driving allows people to work, access education, healthcare and shopping, enjoy recreation and meet friends and family. Yes, so, so, so does walking, cycling and public transport. What? Weird line. Okay. Cars are the most popular mode of transport for personal travel. Uh, compromise, uh, comprising, sorry, 58% of trips in 2022 and 78% of distance travelled. Wait a minute. Yes, most popular, but again, is that because people are, cho are, are choosing or have a, have a choice to drive? Or is it because they don't have a choice and have to drive? This is really bad stuff. I mean, transparent stuff. Um, just, ugh. anyway. The car is the most frequently used mode of transport for commuting. Again, that's bad because commuting is the perfect... Commuting is where you want to maximise public transport usage because it's large flows of people following similar corridors. So that's the right for public transport. And yet, oh, no, it's it, uh, people choose to drive. Again, this is just like basically the government telling on itself um, or the DFT telling on itself. Given the importance that people place on being able to drive and the economic activity this creates, just going to, again, put a little pin in that saying... Um, the, only if you ignore all the externalities. Like, yes, the government's, the DFT's own modelling that we've just talked about, WebTag, says that you get lots of lovely economic activity from, from driving, but that ignores all the externalities from stress, pollution, wasted time that you can't kind of, wasted time that you spend driving and stuck in traffic. Actually, it kind of does sometimes account for that one, but you know, the fact that people are having to drive rather than alternatives, it's excluding all of these externalities, health impacts of people having a car, therefore having the car at the front, therefore making more decisions to drive than they might otherwise, uh, therefore doing less exercise, therefore being less healthy. It, it ignores the impact from fatalities and, and, and you know, 25,000 people killed or seriously injured on our roads every year. Um, it, all of these externalities are just ignored in that little, little clause in that sentence there. Uh, given the importance, yada yada lies, uh, well not lies, sorry, mis kind of um, uh, propaganda, it is right that the government does what it can to fix the issues people experience when driving or dealing with the administration around motoring. Now I don't necessarily disagree with some of that. Certainly the administration around motoring, that's puts a lot of pressure on people who are in, in you know, to have time, suffer time poverty. Uh, and also a lot of the systems are really outdated and stupid. Oh, it's not too bad, but, but it's, it's not great. So, okay, fine, that's... That's I can understand that, but fix the issues people experience when driving. Well, lots of that's congestion, and lots of that congestion nowadays is caused by the number of HGVs on the road. Why are those HGVs on the road? I wonder. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, since 2010, the government has made significant improvements in our road network and providing better services for drivers. During this period, we have. Um, well, okay. This this is the one that makes me wince because, as as we've said in previous episodes. The next one they've said helps drive with cost of living. There has been no increase in the main fuel duty rates since January 2011. Let's remind ourselves of the fact that that increase in carbon emissions as a result of the increased driving from that fuel duty freeze represents a bigger release of carbon than the railways will ever be able to save. That single policy has basically taken a decade of benefits that we could get with the best case scenario rail investment 
and it has trodden all over it. It has released that up into the atmosphere. It's ex- an excruciatingly bad policy from a climate perspective. Absolutely excruciating. The other thing, of course, is as we know from fuel duty, from, from things like the Resolution Foundation analysis on fuel duty cuts, that's a a big tax kind of uh, tax of kind of uh, basically a big scheme to move the tax burden away from the middle class towards poor people who can't drive who don't have access to a car so you know because the people who benefit from fuel duty free are people who have bigger chunkier cars suvs and all this stuff so they're the ones who are actually benefiting so this is it's it's a it's an incredibly regressive tax decision the third thing is um you're, it's it's not true that the fuel duty freeze is a policy that saves cost of living because you're still by by assuming that that's the way people are going to travel around. You're locking in all those kind of unseen costs of buying the car, maintaining the car, insuring the car, all the other stuff that isn't fuel that you're locking people into having to spend when they could be spending that money on something else. So excruciating, excruciatingly wrong uh, paragraph there. Horrible. Um, uh, yes, this is absolutely just governing based on the grievances of people commenting on specifically Facebook posts. Yeah, uh, tackled rip-off fuel retailers. I'm not going to dwell on this. They haven't. That's the reason why the fuel costs have gone up. It's, that, that, it's a ratchet that only really goes one way. Uh, invested in our roads. Um, they have indeed spent multiple billions of pounds on, on the road network, uh, and they shouldn't have, as we've talked about ad nauseum. Uh, improved road safety. The UK does have some of the safest roads in the world. That is true, and it's something that we should be pleased about. But we have increasing rates of fatalities of, for example, pedestrians and cyclists because of the increasing in size of, of road vehicles. Um, and there's nothing here talking about tackling this. It's all just thinking about people in their cars being uh, being safer. And whilst I'm not saying that's not important, it's ignoring the problems that increased traffic cause in terms of uh, direct fatalities and, and, and serious injuries of, of vulnerable road users, but also, of course, all of the additional stress, the additional noise, the additional pollution, air pollution particularly, uh, and not just from exhaust pipes. So again, question mark on that front. Uh, accelerate the infrastructure to support zero emissions cars. I mean, I wouldn't use the word accelerate. I'd say that they've said a few things and it started happening. I don't think they've played any part in accelerating it. In fact, their inaction is why take-up is quite slow, really, and certainly not fast enough to solve any of the problems that, that, that EVs are purported to solve. And something about making it easier to tax vehicles and update the details online. They just they got rid of the paper tax disc in 2014. Ah, whatever. Big deal. Uh, we continue to make substantial. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Out, so fine, okay. There's a substantial investment in our public. Tra- okay, right. This is important. We continue to make substantial investment in our public transport and active travel options. We know that that is a lie. Having the, the, this came out at the same time that they cut billions out of the levels of investment in public transport. They've cut the cut the funding for bus back better. They cut the funding to Active Travel England by a substantial volume. Uh, that's just a lie. Um, and then they have, but they have said giving people more choice about how they can best make their journey. Okay. We want to help people get about easily, safely, and sustainably, not to force people to use one mode of travel or another, or to price poorer drivers off the road. So there's the two big lies, right? Number one, forcing people to use one mode of travel or another. So what they're saying there is it's not the DFT's business to set targets for mode share and mode and modal shift. They could not be more wrong on that front. 
interestingly enough, I have a publication coming out in about a year's time that will go into some detail about that. Um, the other big lie is um, pricing poorer drivers off the road, given what we've just talked about. What we're doing by by continuing to spend so little on public transport and, and active travel is we're forcing people to have a car. We're forcing poor people to have a car when actually, as, we, as, as I've just said in a lecture this morning, 50% of the bottom fifth of earners don't have access to a car at all. So policies that are pro-car uh, disproportionately hit the poorest in society. Uh, some driver, here's, here's the Facebook post, bollocks. Uh, some drivers feel measures are being taken that mostly favour the interests of non-drivers. <laughs> off. Uh, this plan aims to redress that by showing that alongside the measures the government is taking to make walking and cycling more attractive and to support local buses and rail travel, we're also on the side of drivers and working to make their lives easier. Right, so I, I want to pause on a point here. Um, as Gareth is saying, they're, they're forcing people to use one mode over others because the status quo is 89% of people and things move by road at the moment. And this is enforcing that status quo, which means that a vast majority of people have to drive. Absolutely. Um, the thing I want to point out um, uh, there is there is some politics and some some kind of message management required around bringing people along with this. The reality is that you need to kind of bring the broad section of population on on with you in, in doing this stuff. Um, I, I I am a bit more climate Stalin about this. I do think that actually there still needs to be a much larger... To be honest, both. You need a massive stick, but you also need a massive carrot. The issue is that at the moment, the carrot and the stick is, is, like, a, is like a little embroidered thing on a handkerchief, whereas I'm talking about having an enormous kind of two and a half metre length of willow and then a, a, one of those comedy veg competition carrots kind of attached to the end with some like baler twine. That's that's the carrot and stick scale I'm talking about. Um you know, something that if you bonk them on the head with it, it'll knock them out, and the potential potential risk from serious mental kind of serious brain damage from concussion. That's the scale of carrot and stick I'm talking about. The government isn't doing that at all. There is no carrot. There is no creation of the space and the capacity to 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 accommodate the demand. Because as I keep saying over and over again, the demand for public transport is enormous. As soon as we build any good public transport, people flock to it. So the government's being disingenuous about this choice statement. This is what they're talking about is locking, exactly as Gareth said, they're locking people into a single option, and that is to have to drive. Uh, Zandovic is saying, if you want to improve life for drivers, get as many people off the road as possible onto other modes. Yeah, absolutely. Netherlands regularly voted as best place to drive. I wonder why. Yeah. Um, th there's, you have to be careful about that because you don't want to free the roads up to the extent that it's just rich people who drive around on them. Um, there is, there's, there's, there's an extent of that's why I need the stick and that's why I need road pricing and things like this to manage that carefully. But absolutely, uh, Nucker is saying, uh, what I don't understand is if the, if the right are all so about freedom, maybe allowing people to choose cycling, driving or taking public transport is in line with their political ideology. Uh, yes. Um, Martha's saying, carrot and stick is also not always a good lens when you're talking about people who have been eating from a huge trough of carrots for decades as drivers have. Absolutely, yeah. It's high time the drivers uh, just got walloped with a stick for a couple of decades. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. Uh, you know, we're talking about cumulative lack of investment in public transport in the UK for decades and decades that represents tens, well, actually hundreds of billions of pounds of deficit in relation to, 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 to roads. So... Um, 
uh, lovely, good stuff. Right. Sorry, I'm just checking in case it was a. I ended up shouting and waking Lamp, uh, the, the wee one up, but I'm not, thankfully. Um, so da, 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 da. let's 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 cr let, let's crack on. Uh, oh golly, look at the horizontal line on that road. It looks a bit rubbish, doesn't it? Um, anyway, right. So these are the head. These are the five headings that we put at the start of the episode. The first one is smoother journeys. Two, stopping unfair enforcement. Three, easier parking. Four, cracking down on inconsiderate driving. And five, helping the transition to zero emission driving. Okay, fine. Um, so we're going to go through each of those and understand. Uh, uh, yeah, so there's 30 new steps the government will take. Well, they're going to kind of whiz through them. Well, what, 20, 24? Yeah, let's see if we can whiz through these. So um, plan for drivers' actions. So we're just going to go through all of them and have a, have a little chin scratch on each of them. Smooth the journeys. Bus lanes only when they're needed. F*** off. Um, we need to be putting bus lanes everywhere. <laughs> just put bus lanes put bus lanes in. They are a fantastic way. It's a fantastically cheap way to improve not just um frankly, not just to improve um public transport capacity, but to improve the capacity of roads because a bus lane, even if it looks empty, has a substantially greater capacity than the than the traffic lane next to it. The other thing is often bus lanes improve overall traffic flow because you're it often involves you getting rid of wherever you have two lanes then merging into one you end up with congestion bus lanes allow you to be quite clever about the overall flow of traffic so actually bus lanes are good for smoother journeys not least the fact that if you have bus lanes they take a lot of cars off the road so that's obviously nonsense making better use of bus lanes it's a revised traffic advisory leaflet to guide local authorities in allowing motorcyclists to use bus lanes and hold a consultation about whether motor motorcycle access should be standard I actually don't hate that. That's not... I, I think that's okay, actually. Like, motorcycles are a much more efficient way of moving people around than cars are, relatively speaking. It's actually much less safe, but that's partly because of the cars. And that's... that's I don't hate that. That's okay. Safer breakdown recoveries. Permitting red flashing lights for breakdown vehicles, helping to protect recovery drivers anything more visible than the roadside. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Uh, red flashing lights, rather, because they currently have yellow flashing lights, but they can have red. Okay. Uh, yeah, probably. I'm sure there's some evidence. I hope there's some evidence behind that. Smarter road closures. Uh, support councils to induce more rain, lane rental schemes, which reduce roadworks by incentivizing utilities to avoid the busiest roads at the busiest times. This has been successful. And, okay, fine. That sounds sensible enough. Fixing roads faster. Consult on requiring local authorities with lane rental schemes to use at least 50% of any surplus on pothole repairs. So I don't know or care about that one particularly. Encouraging efficient street works. Consult on extending fines for overrunning street works at weekends and increasing fixed penalties. You know, it's just fine. Uh, I think contractors in the UK, particularly on local roads, are lazy and don't care. They just pay the problem away. So um, incentivizing that, fine. Also, things like better. You know, what's not mentioned here is is, is better strategic planning in terms of road renewal um, uh, to avoid the the classic and so common thing of the road getting resurfaced and then a week later being dug up again with a horrible then line of poorly surfaced kind of cold cold press, kind of um, uh, cold pour tarmac that immediately becomes a giant long pothole. That's such a common thing, and it, it, that, that doesn't seem to be anything about fixing that. Harnessing the latest road technology, roll out the Live Labs 2 program to explore new low-carbon and high-tech ways of managing local highway networks, supporting the transition to net-zero carbon local roads and infrastructure. A big question mark on that. I, 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 looks like greenwashing. I, I'd be interested to know more about it. Fine. Develop, uh, sorry, develop a new road condition data standard, better road data, to provide local authorities with access to new technologies enabling them to more easily identify and deal with road defects like poles. Fine, whatever. Um, better traffic lights. Do you know what the best traffic light is? No traffic light. 
uh, a mini roundabout is far more effective than expensive traffic lights. Traffic lights require lots of ongoing expense. They may uh, uh, theoretically improve traffic flow, but I suggest that the best way to um, manage traffic lights, and York is a perfect example of this, is to get rid of them. Um, smarter traffic lights. Okay, don't care. Uh, cutting edge traffic flow management. Again, all of... Uh, no, wait a minute. This is a, this is a, a worthy one. Uh, 20 million to deploy advanced technology for traffic signals, making use of machine learning and AI to optimize traffic flow and balance traffic across city centers. This isn't quite as bullshit as it sounds. It's not quite wizard will fix it. It's probably using edge detection technology, which we already have and gets used quite a lot for traffic counts to kind of understand what 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 uh, flow management is, you know, what flow traffic flows are happening at any given point. Fine. Um, as, as I like to point out, I much prefer to decide how much traffic you want in your city and using the transport hierarchy and then um, make that, just just limit that flow by having lots of pinch points. The best way to manage traffic is to make traffic, is to make traffic flow shit. Uh, particularly with electric vehicles, the advantage of the electric vehicles is that you uh, gain the benefit of not having you know, exhaust emissions from parked traffic, at which point the argument again about having perfect flow traffic to avoid emissions disappears, at which point it becomes a good and necessary thing to limit the flow of traffic through 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 urban areas. Um, uh, Martha Lawrence saying traffic signals are already pretty well optimized. Yeah, it's a bit of a, it's a bit like digital railway. It's a bit like yeah, you aren't going to get that green that cycle from green, double yellow, yellow. Sorry, green, double amber, amber, uh, you know, red, green. That that ain't that that ain't getting any faster on quite a lot of sections of the, of the GB rail network, ETCS or not. Yes, it's very true. Um, smart traffic management equals blanket twenty miles an hour speed limit in urban areas. Absolutely, hard agree. Um, talking of which, stopping unfair enforcement. Ride speed limits in the right places. Update 20 mile an hour zone guidance for England to help prevent inappropriate blanket use. Um, d what? N no. Obviously, this is the big politics one because Wales just did this, um, even though it actually had broadly had cross-party support in Wales. Um, actually, the opposite situation is, is here. 20 mile an hour zones should be applied on blanket. Drivers adhere to them better when it's a blanket zone. So hard disagree with that. Uh, here's the next one, which is uh, tapping into the anti-Semitic trope. Uh, stop local authorities using so-called 15-minute cities to police people's lives. What the f*** are you talking about, Mark Harper? You stupid um, yes, uh, this is obviously a highly offensive anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, that tapping into kind of global elite nonsense. But also... It's so transparently stupid. Everyone wants 15 minutes, minute cities. I want to go and get a coffee. I want to go and get my teeth fixed. I, I haven't had a dentist appointment in God knows how many years. God, I don't even know if I've still got my NHS dentist, but they stopped contacting me because I, I had so many fillings when I signed up that I think they were, I think I, I broke their profit model. Anyway, <laughs> Bevan was right. Anyway, um, I want to, go to the library i want to go to the shop I, all this stuff and i want to do it on foot and i don't want it to take more than about 15 minutes that's what everyone wants <laughs> everyone wants that they want to get, take their kid to childcare. they want to go walk the kids to school they, they want to walk to a decent bus stop all of that or a decent public transport connection all that within 15 minutes it's just such obvious just such obvious obvious good thing that i think most people would agree with only 
morons who have just been fed conspiratorial nonsense buy into the idea that the 50 minute city is any is anything other than just a brand name for for that and don't get me wrong i think 50 minutes is as a brand is um you know not ideal but it's just you know sometimes yeah you can't say all of what i just said in a quick snappy phrase without creating some sort of form of jargon term and 50 minutes says is that jargon um uh, so, yeah, this is also interesting and, and, and very dangerous. Consult on measures including the removal of local authorities' access to DVLA data to enforce such schemes by camera. In, really dangerous. Big step of centralization against devolution. Really pretty dangerous stuff. Uh, here's the other more on one. Uh, new guidance on low traffic neighborhoods. Focus on the importance of local support and consider as part of the LTN review how to address existing LTNs that have not secured local consent. So that actually doesn't say, it doesn't say anything, but it's trying to appeal to the, um, to the, to the kind of the locals, uh, the, the local and frankly limited anger against it. Um, Fair fines. Strengthen government and sector-led guidance on enforcement moving traffic offences such as entering yellow box junctions to ensure consistency and stop drivers from being penalised unfairly. Or or you could enforce traffic regulations because they're there for people's safety and in fairness to also manage and, and, and maintain traffic flow. What? Take the profit out of traffic enforcement. Now I do agree with this because it shouldn't. There should be no intermediaries gaining profit. Wait a minute, though. Uh, call for evidence on options to restrict local authorities' ability to generate surpluses from traffic offences and overzealous use of traffic enforcement powers. Oh no, that's bad. Why shouldn't local authorities p- profit from the stupidity of road drivers? It's a, it's a syntax. Syntax is generally shown to work pretty well, uh, and uh, the point of the, that enforcement is that eventually the enforcement goes to zero because the, the, the enforcement becomes successful. So there we go. That's the really stupid section. The stopping unfair enforcement, is, is that's all stupid stuff. The, 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 the previous section, Smoother Journeys, was actually, I think, majority not stupid stuff. Stopping unfair enforcement is stupid stuff. I fear the next section, which is easier parking, is also stupid stuff. Let's move if you go big face. Hello, everyone. It's me. Uh, and just answer some questions. Uh, Tim Ballam, uh, didn't Mark Harper get thrown under the bus by Sunak uh, today? Uh, he did. Uh, we mentioned it earlier. Uh, Mark Harper, I'm throwing you under the bath. Um, uh, let's see, Andy Kay, uh, Dutch traffic lights are much smarter than ours, a good general upgrade with multiple sensors uh, and good for cycles in the Netherlands, of course. Yeah. Um, 50 Minute Cities, is, uh, this connector is saying 50 Minute Cities is ironically communist, unironically communist, that's how commie blocks worked. Yeah, uh, good thing. Um, uh, I'm not particularly a communist, but there's, there's, there's much to learn, uh, much to be learned. Uh, Jamie Potts, pretty funny that the people losing their minds about 50-minute cities are also the people that have been lamenting the death of the high street on black and white photo Facebook groups. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. I wonder I wonder why, I wonder what killed the high street. Was it by any chance the proliferation of out-of-town retail and commercial estates? Oh, I wonder. I wonder. David Shepard, uh, smart traffic lights are good if they dynamically go green for trams, buses, bikes, and pedestrians and only make cars wait. Yeah, very nice. Um, lovely. Right, let's uh, let's, let, let's, let, let's continue our uh, adventures Um so, easier parking. Number one, uh, or rather number 17 on our list of 30 actions. Uh, better parking technology. Deliver the new park- national parking platform by autumn 2024, ending the need to use multiple parking apps. Agreed. It's a good idea. Challenge unfair parking rules. Consult on revising guidance about the public's right to challenge local authority parking policies. I don't like the sound of that. It doesn't sound like... It might astent- superficially sound democratic, but actually I don't like the sound of that because I like local authorities having lots of power to penalise bad parking and to um, come up with uh, aggressive 
parking policies. I think that's a good thing. Um, okay, so I don't like that one. Number 19, find parking more easily. Digitized traffic regulation orders will help easily identify where it is legal to park anywhere in the country. Whatever. Uh, it does bring me to a point that I think one of the biggest failings made by uh, Castle in her, uh, her, her Transport Act was... Was it Castle? I think it was in, in her... In, in the... the uh, 1968 Transport Act, I think it might have been, which brought in yellow and double yellow lines. Those should not have been proposed. What we should have had is line markings to designate where you can park so that it's illegal to park anywhere but somewhere that is marked rather than it's legal to park anywhere you like except where there are yellow and double yellow lines. Not least because it makes our roads really ugly because there's bloody yellow and double yellow lines everywhere when we could just have marked parking spaces. Uh, that was a big, stupid uh, call made uh, 50 years ago. Uh, right, okay, let's, oh, that's the end of the parking. That's it. Well, inspirational stuff. Okay, so let's go to inconsiderate driving. And uh, ostensibly, this one is like, you know what? That sounds good to me. That sounds like we're penalizing bad drivers. That, that, that sounds good. Fairer insurance claims. Consult on removing the right of uninsured drivers to claim compensation for property damage. Yeah, sounds fair enough, probably. Um, I don't know. Is that a lib opinion to think that's a good idea? Sounds fine. Better driving. What? Better driving. I mean, sure, okay. Communications campaign and enforcement tackle lane hogs and other considered driving on the motorway. Okay, yeah, fine. That I agree with that. Um, quieter neighbourhoods. Okay, allow local. So weirdly, now we're giving we're actually giving local authorities some power on this one. Just showing how ill thought out the whole this whole document is. Allow local councils to roll out noise cameras. It's called a mic microphone. Uh, I suppose it has a camera for the NPR bit. To target unacceptable vehicle modifications. Okay. I mean, you could also just do it as part of the MOT, but anyway, whatever. Okay, fine. Uh, cleaner roads. Clamp down on roadside littering, extending the trial on camera enforcement across the strategic road network. Ah, yeah, that sounds fine. Um, there doesn't seem to be anything about... This is inconsiderate driving. This all seems pretty pathetic. There's nothing about changing the law to very heavily penalise people who kill or maim vulnerable road users, because that feels like that would be a far better uh, thing to do. No? Okay. Transition to zero to, to zero emission driving. Right, okay, let's see what inspirational stuff governments come up with. We're going to whiz through the text after this, because I don't really care. Uh, we'll, we'll just spot in case there's anything useful in it, but I'm just going to go through these 30, because this is basically the crux of it, isn't it? Number 24, speed up grid connections. Oh, they're referring to the infrastructure underneath uh, the ground for EV charge points. That's rare, because so far they've been ignoring it. Review grid connections process for EV charge points with aim to accelerate it inspirational 25 faster charge point installation consult on measures to speed up the approvals process for installation charge points fine greener schools provide dedicated targeted support for schools to install charge points using existing grants hmm is that for teachers parking okay but if it's for any other parking ideally you just not have the parking you know you should be disabled access parking and maybe that's it but if they're referring to you know disabled access and, and teacher parking okay fine again i'd prefer us to just be building an arrangement building a situation where you encourage people just never to put their car anywhere near the school easier on street charging uh, widen eligibility of ev charge points grants to include co cross pavement solutions mm -hmm. to make ev ownership a more practical option for those without off street parking this is a suspect one refer back to leo and i's episode on Pavement on on, uh, on street charging and off street charging. Hmm. Safer on street charging provide guidance for the use of safe cross pavement solutions. Hmm. Both of those have a big, gigantic, uh, 
a, a gigantic raised raised eyebrow from me. This one's sort of raised raised eyebrow from me on that one. Um, yeah. Uh, is your charge point installation consultant the expansion of permitted development rights making private charge point installation cheaper and easier? Okay, fine. Getting the word out, number 30. Work with industry to myth bust concerns about EVs. I don't think that's why people aren't buying EVs. I think the reason people aren't buying EVs is because they are frighteningly expensive. Even a second-hand EV that would do the things that I want to do, namely the MG5, is way outside of the, of the level I can afford right now. You know, Dean and I can, cannot, we cannot afford. A, you know, we're, we're, we're doing okay. We cannot afford an, an EV that, that, that does what you know, that, that we just can't afford it. You know, it's not possible. Um, right. Okay. So there's all this waffle here. You know what? I don't care about the waffle. We've we've it's fine. Let's have a look. It's all this stuff here. Fine, whatever. Um, do I care about any of what I'm reading here? No, not really. Stopping unfair enforcement. This is the this is the chaos stuff. Easier, but they didn't actually notice that on the stopping unfair enforcement. They're not actually said very much in in here. Um, they've had to put brackets in England because obviously it's devolved. So that's kind of just a so it's just gibberish. Uh, easier parking. Just, there's there's more stuff on that than other things. So yeah, okay, fine. Um, to, to, yeah, whatever. Inconsiderate driving. Uh, here we go. We've got insurance company Paul pointing out things that are uh, bad driving that upset people. Breaking suddenly to scare a person behind them, 51%. Tailgating, 50%. Not pulling up from emergency vehicle. These are the things that irritate. And you know what? That's fine because all that is very aggravating. And I share the anger, particularly on tailgating and on um, uh, you know people sticking in the in the in the uh, the outer lane. Yeah, middle lane hogging is is. It's bad driving. It's dangerous driving. It, it, it is. Uh, not merging till the last minute is another thing. You know what? I, I agree with all these things. It's funny that a, a lot of the people who moan about these and actively moan about them are probably the people who perpetrate them. But anyway, that's another story. Uh, right, whatever. Uh, don't, don't care, don't care. Transition to zero emission driving. Well, there's not much to be said here. Yeah, you can see it. Just They aren't really saying anything. We've got this paragraph here about cross-pavement solutions. Consulting on this and, and best practice, kind of um, looking at how to how to improve this how to deal with households who uh, without off street parking and how they so i agree there's some consideration to be done here but again it's like well it, it, invariably it's going to be done badly if central government have anything to do with it um and you know what the document doesn't have any rear page it doesn't have any closure that's it it just ends on page 25 with the that's it very quickly tossed also the, the formatting of the document is really pretty rudimentary. This is a document that has been tossed together at, at, at rapid pace using a really basic internal Word document template, just as Martha was pointing out. Anyway, right. Now, you might be forgiven for wondering, um, while I uh, quickly right-click on here and, and, and hide my cursor, because you have hopefully been seeing the cursor there, you might be forgiven for wondering, um, you know, politically, did the plan for drivers achieve what, what government wanted it to achieve? You know, did it did it... Did it win them their by-elections? Did it improve their polling? No, it didn't. It did not do that. Because if we look at the Mid-Bedfordshire and the uh, the Tamworth uh, by-elections that happened in the immediate aftermath of this documentation post-CPC, uh, uh, Conservative Party Conference, uh, and also, interestingly, just, just overlay these with the, the fact that these are very high car ownership um, constituencies, uh, Mid-Bedfordshire, uh, enormous swing towards Labour. And, and the Lib Dems, by the way. And uh, hmm, what about uh, Tamworth? Uh, everyone else not really doing anything. And so almost total swing, uh, enormous swing from uh, the Conservatives to Labour. So 
that's why, if you remember the news episode a while back, uh, the Conservatives were a bit upset that they're what they perceived as being very popular policies from that they were advised to send out by people who just read spectator columns um, didn't actually go down very well with the public. Funny that. Funny that the public at large doesn't swallow enormous anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theory tropes. Funny that. Anyway. <sighs> What what have we learned from this? I don't know. Let's go big face. What, what, what questions and queries have we got? Uh, not just the cost of an EV, it's the insurance too. Look uh, for the cost to insure a Citroen uh, AMI. Oh, anyway, that, that'll explain that. I haven't even thought about it. Um, uh, yes. Um, yeah, I love it that a government document says myth bust. Yeah, quite. Um, yeah, okay. Lots of lots of various interesting uh, things here. Maybe easier parking could include stop pavement parking. Yeah. Um, the proliferation of different road user charging schemes with different rules, signage, emission standards, vocabulary, etc., is bad. Yeah, I'd, I would agree with that, um, and I think it's counterproductive for um, it's counterproductive for us uh, actually doing the right thing by having road charging and, and 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 congestion charging and stuff. The congestion charge is very successful in London. ULEZ is a slightly different thing. It doesn't actually it doesn't actually impact that many vehicles, but it's been obviously this huge fuss made about it. Um, uh yeah okay uh there's some other thoughts going on in here as well um yeah phil, phil woodward saying offer a national standard for local road user charging schemes I th guidance i think yes but i think it should be devolved to local authorities to make some of those decisions um we, we don't want central government to be doing more and more decrees michael c uh, sadly it seems this document has actually started having an input on policy i've uh seen this a few times this evening so uh, i've sent this a few times this evening sorry for the spam but Oh, go on, Michael, so you don't tease me with that. Uh, meanwhile, oh, but my dad works for Atkins uh, and has been working on a local transport plan, but they've had they've had to cut out direct mentions of LTNs, etc. so politicians will be more likely to uh, approve it. Yeah, that's that has been, unfortunately, is is, is the case on multiple public, uh, kind of uh, transport planning uh, uh, kind of teams. I've, I've been speaking to people who've been saying the same thing. Very, very depressing and stupid. Um, uh Casper, Casper Lubish. Um, I hope I've pronounced that right, Casper. Um, in the Netherlands, uh, smart, uh, sorry, smart traffic lights increase road capacity. Instead of giving that capacity to cars, they keep car capacity constant and give saved space to other modes. Absolutely. They're, will we ever do that in the UK? No, because our highways officers are all trained to maximise motor traffic flow, because we're stuck in the in the uh, Buchanan era uh, uh, mindset. Anyway, right. Um, let us uh, let us get on with things, shall we? Let's 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 get on with ending the episode, given it's we're running it running a bit long. Um, everyone, um, let's get rid of my stupid face. No, no face. Click that button. Uh, everyone in audio only format. Thanks for listening. I hope this was okay. Um, uh, I had uh, I, I was all right. I don't. I was. It wasn't too painful. It wasn't as bad as necessarily people might perceive. There's some interesting stuff in there. I think probably in terms of the list of stupid versus sensible. I'd say it's maybe fifty fifty. I, I don't know. And, and other people might have a, a slightly better, um, uh, a kind of better feel for that. But uh, yeah. I, 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 anyway, hopefully that works. That's probably an episode that does work reasonably well in audio only format. Anyway, um, you don't get to see my weird shiny haggard face and the too much hair that's attached to the top of my head. Anyway, um. The usual plugs, uh, patreon.com slash gathennis to, to support this. Please do do that. If you know, It only costs a quid uh, a month, um, and you get all the same access as the wonderful people. Um, I'm looking at you, uh, 
GH, you know who you are. The wonderful people who give me lots of support to to, to make this happen. Um, you you get the, all the same benefits as the people who offer a little bit. You know, you provide the support you can. And if you can't, have, uh, you know, if you don't want to provide financial support, that's absolutely fine and normal. Uh, you 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 get to listen to the show too you, by just supporting it, sharing it, doing reviews. Yeah, but if you're getting the content for free. Uh, which you kind of, uh, which is fine and good. Uh, please do do the review thing, you know, to do the subscriptions, the reviews on the podcast platform you listen to, or on YouTube or whatever. You know, to, to engage with it, like, because it gets it snowballs. We're now competing. Rail Natter is now competing with not one, not two, but three other podcasts that have. I mean, I'm not going to say copied, but have copied um, the format. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not, I don't have copyright over um, railway person talks about railways or transport, but hopefully my angle is still, in fact, I know that my angle is still a unique one. Um, and I'm sure there'll be collaborations with those podcasts. Well, not Christians, obviously, but um, with the other ones floating around that, um, you know, um, good, you know, green signals, good stuff. Happy that Nigel and Richard are doing that. Um, I, I think, I, I dare say it doesn't quite go into the, the, class analysis or the, uh, the the sort of social commentary necessarily that I do but um, I wouldn't necessarily say that Nigel and Richard would, would be class as bread tube let's just put it that way but um, you know they both have serious insights so as well you know, I'm not I don't really feel like I'm competing with them but all these other podcast platforms do have um, you know production value and production money and a team whereas this uh, this uh, you know the discord server uh, kind of um, support admin team love you guys but this is just a one man it's just a one guy show i run everything i do all the uploading and all the production and all the editing and all when i, when I do an edited episode and all that stuff and um uh, and you know what i i wouldn't have it any other way because i don't want this to become the commercialized production i do want this to still be me but i can only do it with your support and help whether that's you know plugging it and trying to get it up the rankings uh, whether that's giving me a pound or two on on patreon a month um, whether it's you know getting involved in the Discord server and keeping that that community alive because I love all of you who are on that Discord server. It's, it's such a it's, it's so such a hands hands off um, server. I just don't. Everyone's lovely in there. Every now and then people get people get excitable, but it's there's just never any controversy. Everyone's lovely on there, and, and I'm so proud of you all. It's just such a, a, a nice, pleasant community to be in. It's entirely open. You know, you have to be a Patreon member to be in the Discord server, but you do get little Patreon benefits. Um, there are some channels in there for the Patreon only people, and you, you get to see early stuff and uh, lots of the for the patreon people lots of the benefits that that a good chunk of the benefits you get are kind of through the discord server where where you can have chats with me and i I kind of drop in behind the scenes stuff and of course the merchandise um i owe uh, lgbt for york lgbt forum some cash so i need to go in and, and and double check that and and i will Put a post out saying how much cash they've got from the uh, from the the the, the merchandise that you know, the uh, the prime merchandise. So I need to go in and, and update that. Anyway, uh, yeah, that's garethdennis.co.uk slash merch. The Discord server is garethdennis.co.uk slash Discord. Uh, PayPal.me slash garethdennis for PayPal-y type stuff, and Patreon.com slash garethdennis for the for the that that kind of subscription support. Uh, yes, uh, so that went on a, lot, a a bit long, but I thought I'd just you know state my case because I'm. Just feeling a little bit like, not disheartened, a little bit like, oh, yeah, of course, the big production value podcasts are coming along and sort of elbowing into the space that, that I've kind of carved out. But that's, you know, it's fine. It's, it's what happens. Um, and, you know, this show is unique in, in the sense that it's just one loser 
that's me um and a bunch of lovely people in the chat it's just one person a podcast doesn't necessarily work with one person and that probably limits how massive the if, if it was me and someone fun talking it probably would widen the appeal but I've, i don't know i've never found the right person and also it's a weekly commitment is quite a substantial commitment um if ever you have a suggestion for someone else it's just a it's a big commitment for someone else to commit to, to running this particularly when i get obsessive over doing an episode every week and and rolling up the big numbers um getting that dynamic right i think of having someone else joining us would be it's a big question i don't know i'm getting into patreon chat now this is the sort of chat we have on the patreon there's a little spoiler alert for the sorts of chats that we have on the patreon um um part of the discord server where where sometimes we have calls and chats about this stuff um uh, but the live chat is what allows this to work it's just it's, it's me but it's not just me on the podcast because i'm recording this live it's all of you lovely lot as well uh, on here so um uh, that's kind of i think what makes the podcast work and kind of unique i don't know does it, are there any other podcasts that record like this any other podcasts that have a, a live audience uh, coming in and saying hello i don't know so to tell me ones that do uh, anyway right enough of that waffle next week it's episode 197 uh we're getting into very much into the, the, the christmas season this is going to pre- be a pre-record but i haven't done any pre-records for this christmas i'm going to do probably end up doing them all live um i, I uh, emily i i'll message you <laughs> we need to think of something to do because i'm so disorganized we'll think of something fun that we can do together because uh, I, I definitely want there to be the, the the annual emily episode uh we we enjoy having uh, emily on um to, to sh- not not least to show us what the latest edible tube station is that they that they've created um that the randall round uh we go uh, crew have created and then had to eat uh, episode 197 the tubular tale of torxy viaduct hmm. what, 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 why on earth am i telling a story about a funny old viaduct built by the what 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 became the, the great central oh you have to stay tuned and find out uh in a week's time in the meantime uh, i'm gonna go big face uh my scraggled looking knackered face and uh myself and also they their miles are gonna wave you uh wave you goodbye everyone thanks so much for joining cheerio yes episode 200 is coming closely cheerio